Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Ah, good morning, Voice America listeners. Welcome back to Solutions and Strategies, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean. Very Very happy to have you with us this morning. You know, last time we spent a good amount of time discussing stress and trauma, and we discussed the effects on our kids and what we can do to help them. I want to carry on that discussion today by looking at the aspects of trauma. We're looking at one of the aspects of trauma, which is anxiety. Things have been kind of crazy in our world. Anxiety is often a feeling of fear and apprehension, often accompanied by somatic or what are called health complaints. We're living in stressful times. We continue to see devastating events across the world and in our Western Hemisphere. Now another terrible mass shooting, this event occurring in Nevada. When things are occurring across the world, they affect the whole planet. People are very absorbed in the troubles of the world, and in turn, they have their own specific worries. You know, they want to make sure they maintain stable lives and purposeful involvement in their lives. People want to know that they and their families are safe from negative events of the day, so they worry. Our families living with disabilities worry. They worry about having their services reduced or removed. They worry about their kids' health and the livelihood, just like any other parent. But there may be more of a worry placed upon them if they're dependent on government and government programs for help. If the government begins to reduce home, school, community services, parents will lose vital supports, which, of course, worries them. So anxiety is out there. And it's kind of pervasive throughout our existence right now. Now, besides the fact that, as with any people, persons with autism pick up on anxiousness of others, they have their own organic predisposition to anxiety. So, you know, let let me put that out there again. You know, the, the idea is that when people are stressing, people around them pick up on that. So if you as an adult are feeling very stressed, very anxious, very worried about things, then your kids are going to pick up on that. I truly believe that there is a geriatric, psychiatric disability occurring, which is overwatching of news programs, where there is an abundance of negative information being shot at our older citizens, and it scares the living daylights out of them. And they spend their day watching something that concerns them highly and their brain becomes very worried and their bodies become sickly because of it. Now we know that just like anybody else, our kids with autism are going to pick up on our feelings of worry and apprehension if we're feeling that way. Autism is a neurological disorder. It affects about 1 in 150 to as high as 1 in 50 births in the United States. When I first started doing this work, It was 1 in 50,000. Down syndrome was 1 in 25,000, and that was a very high number. 
when we look at numbers at one in 50 births, that's an incredible change in our existence. And I truly believe that because we have seen so much autism in the last 20 years, um, I, I believe the brain is going through an evolution to make its next change, whatever it's going to be, and that'll be the topic for another show. But autism affects language, it affects social and motor development. Part of the neurological condition causes motor planning issues with both gross motor skills like walking and running, while also affecting fine motor skills such as grasp and even speech, as the tongue is also fine motor skill. A lot of people don't realize that that when you have problems with your fingers and you can't do what you want to do with your fingers, you're probably going to have issues with your tongue, too, because it's another fine motor skill. When motor planning is affected and people are unable to do the things they want to do, this can increase their anxiety and, worse off, decrease motivation. So why does it decrease motivation? When one attempts to do something and repetitively is unable to do it, it becomes a punishment model. In the behavioral world, punishment has one effect. It decreases the likelihood of a behavior occurring again. So if motivation is the behavior being punished by failure or extreme challenge, then it will be lost due to, then it will be lost due to withdrawal and often escape from the punishing event. It may be a language issue that the kiddo can't either understand or might not be able to express thoughts or feelings. If there is no communication to others, there is no way to get that other person to understand you. This leaves the brain on an active arousal for problem solving that can get help to resolve problems. So the brain is constantly acting to try and resolve issues and if you don't have a use of language, you don't have social reciprocity, the back and forth, the social interaction, there's a really good chance you're going to have some very difficult times problem solving. And if you can't problem solve, your brain is still going to try and do it. And that tension, that ongoing alertness to the problem is what is going to cause the anxiety. We actually have parts of our brain that the main purpose is to make sure that during a life-threatening or, or event or a large threat, we are prepared to either run like heck or turn around and fight for our survival. It's that fight or flight. The part of the brain that allows us to do this is called the parasympathetic nervous system. If the parasympathetic nervous system is on high alert, then the person will remain in the aroused state because that's what the parasympathetic system does. It raises the heart rate and breathing rate and prepares the muscles to engage. There's a particular part of the brain. It's called the stratea, the bed stratea nucleus terminalis. We're just going to call it the nucleus terminalis. Its total purpose is to keep the brain on high alert and prepare for fight or flight. You know, 50,000 years ago, we were all living in Africa. We were all in the same place. We knew our fellow villagers. We knew our local foods. We knew our local areas. If we saw smoke coming over the hill, we knew that that was a local village. As we moved further and further out from Africa and migrated away from that continent to other continents, 
we didn't know what was around the corner. We didn't, we weren't prepared as much. So men job was to fight whatever might come about or protect the family. The women's females job was to scope the whole scene and to see what was going on, both causing high levels of alertness. And this bed nucleus is that's its job is to just keep your brain alert all the time. Well, if you have issues going on and you have problems going on and your brain is alert constantly, you're never going to feel that you can let down. It's a part of the brain is continuously on. It's energized. It'll cause the person to eventually either shut down due to exha exhaustion or become quite agitated due to the anxiety and constant apprehension you're feeling. So, do people with autism have more anxiety than anybody else? It's hard to say. Possibly because of the neurological problems that they have, which is not being able to filter out certain stimulus that comes in from everything around them. It's very likely that noises, sights, tactile feelings, smells are all bombarding their systems constantly and they're not able to filter out things. So for instance, if you're listening to me and maybe there's garbage cans being moved in the background or a car driving down the street or somebody talking in the cubicle next to you, you're, you're able to focus your hearing and your concentration on my voice. People with autism often have difficulty focusing in on just one sense when multiple stimulus is coming in at them. Therefore, their brain is constantly in the state of having stimulus arouse them. And like any of us, we begin to feel overwhelmed by these things around us. Too often, the result of the person is that they want to withdraw from what's going on around them. And therefore, you have lots of people that, see, that you see with autism staying to themselves, thinking that that's what the person wants. But maybe that's not what they want. Maybe the only way they can feel safe and feel a sense of safety around them is to block the amount of information coming in to them on a daily basis. People have social interactions and don't realize how much it takes to actually have a social interaction. You have to be able to focus in on what the person is saying, your body movements, your facial expressions, lots and lots of stimulus. So when the person with autism attempts a social interaction and their brain is already overwhelmed by stimulus, their anxieties may prove so high that they are unable to socially interact. Unable to, not, not wanting to, unable to. It's a big difference. So some events that might occur around anxiety are panic attacks, which I'll explain in a minute. But behaviors such as obsessive compulsive disorder, types of behaviors including rituals and over all generalized anxiety are both including post-traumatic stress disorder. So there are lots of different issues that anxiety can bring. And you have a lot of people out there right now that are dealing the best they can with the amount of anxiety that they have. Our news produces more anxiety. The actual events of the world is increasing anxiety tenfold. We need m many, many people more than any other time in our history are on medications for anxiety. So these things are not going to just affect the person with autism or the person 
who has high psychiatric disability, this is affecting all of us. So when we return from our, our break, we'll continue our discussion. I want to talk about some different types of, of anxiety and some ways that we can deal with those things. Okay, so we'll see you back here in a couple of minutes. Go get yourselves a nice cup of coffee. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back. I hope you've been able to get yourself a little cup of coffee, get your morning going. Talking about anxiety this morning and how it affects people, how it affects kids, how it affects people with autism. And one of the things about anxiety is that anxiety can also be broken down into two areas, um, two areas of discomfort, in, in fact. One is what would be called ego discomfort. Ego discomfort is the idea that you feel that people are not thinking well about you, talking poorly about you, saying things that are not kind about you. So you feel bad about yourself and you have worries and concerns about that. So one of the things with anxiety is constantly looking at one's own ego, one's own ability to process personal information and determine whether or not it's really affecting your sense of self. The other 
area that anxiety often has as an attribute is the idea of, of a discomfort tolerance. Now, there's two kinds of discomfort tolerances. One is frustration tolerance. Frustration tolerance is the ability to, as the title says, to deal with levels, different levels of frustration. As you become more and more anxious, you become more and more frustrated by different things and you want things to go the way that you think that they're supposed to go so that you don't have more issues to deal with. And it actually turns into a secondary problem because not only do you have the problem that you're worried about, but then you begin to worry about the worrying about the problem. And so, and if you're going to be in a situation where things are going to go right for you or not go right for you, and that are things going to turn out the way you want, and are they going to turn out the way you want in an easy fashion, that's that discomfort or frustration tolerance under discomfort. The other is physical discomfort, literally not wanting to feel physically uh, uh, uncomfortable. And we are not always in a state where we are physically comfortable. So what happens with either ego discomfort or the frustration or physical discomforts are people start putting things into place in order to feel better. People will engage in obsessive compulsive types of behavior when they're in high states of anxiety. They want to do the same things over and over again in the same way and have certain thoughts in their heads that if certain things are done in certain ways, it'll bring them less anxiety. And that's a huge thing because what happens is, is that the person creates certain rituals in order to go through the ritual and at the end of the ritual for the completion of the event to have that, <coughs> excuse me, that aha uh -huh feeling like they have finally have accomplished something which raises up their level of dopamine in their brain and allows for a good feeling of a sense of closure. So people are often looking for that aha uh -huh feeling. And it's like, ah, oh, I finally have accomplished it. I finally have done it. One person that I was working with would create very intense situations in their head so that I mean, things like their child being hurt or their spouse being killed and get themselves into a very worked up emotional mode just then to be able to tell themselves, no, it's not real. You don't have to worry about it. And that gave the person that, aha, uh -huh, that feeling of, of comfort. Well, to set oneself up for such a challenging ritual to just then use that ritual for relaxation it does cry out for help for other ways to relax that aha feeling which raises up that dopamine only happens when there is that sense of closure it's commonly it's it's very common that that sense of closure is that what that person's looking for in the ritual so if the ritual raises dopamine and lowers serotonin levels, which may be causing depression or, or anxiety in the person, the person will engage in them more often because it works for them. One of the things that we want to make sure is that it's not a dangerous ritual. 
there are certain things that people may go through in order to reach that feeling of comfort, including cutting, hurting themselves, other ways of raising up endorphin levels so that they feel a level of comfort. We have to help individuals in other ways to feel comfortable. Our goal is not to stop rituals and not to stop obsessive compulsive behaviors. Rather, give alternatives so that the person can have some intervention for when they're feeling that way and also setting up things that they don't so that they don't become anxious in the first place. So, I mean, that's a big ticket thing. It's like, okay, what, how do you set up the world so you don't become anxious when the world is such an anxious place right now? Quite recently, we have seen an increase in panic disorders amongst individuals with autism. Panic disorders can come on at any time and usually last like five to ten minutes, but it's an extreme state of anxiousness. And this is when we have gotten the person with autism to a level that they just can't handle any longer and their body shuts down and needs to escape and avoid. They come in different ways, panic attacks that is, but they often make the person feel like they are in a sense of danger and it's the same feeling as feeling like you're about to be killed by something. Therefore, you're going to do everything you can to try and protect yourself your body goes into hyper alertness, hyper arousal of the heart rate, the, 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 the lungs start to increase, the body temperature goes up, and you're just not feeling good at all because you're in this state of extreme stress. Sometimes panic disorders come from a known, understood event, like every time you go to a certain house, you feel afraid because that house, maybe there's something bad happened there before, but sometimes... They come out of nowhere. It could be a smell. It could be a sound. It could be something in the environment that triggers the event. So the panic attack, you try, so when with the panic attacks, you try and look at environmental causes. And there may be some, and there may not be, and you try and assist in reducing those that you can find. It's very challenging because you don't always know what the internal activating event is. So let's look at it like this. Let's look at A, B, C. There's an activating event. It's something that activates that uh, feeling of apprehension. That feeling of apprehension, the fear, the, the ritual you may go through, that's the behavior. That's the B. So now we have the A, which is the activating event, and the B, which is the behavior or the belief systems or what you're going to do or your thoughts or how you're going to be feeling inside. But the C, which is how we follow up with those feelings, the consequence around the feelings, that is going to be the area that we can focus in on because that's going to be the area for the most part that's going to truly show us, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, not show us, but that that's going to be how we can reduce some of our anxiousness by being more and more aware. Sorry, I think I lost my train of thought. For instance, so how, so, so how do we do that? You know, how do we reduce things? How do we set things up so that we can uh, assist a person? Well, there's multiple interventions that we'll be talking about. What I like to do is first look at organic events that may be occurring in the person. For instance, he may have a high temperature or their body 
just may be very, very warm. That happen, And that happens because the body is hyperstimulated and the heart rate goes up and the lungs are going and the body is preparing for movement. So there's heat. So sometimes reducing the heat, cooling off the room, cooling off the person may allow some of the anxiety to be reduced also. There are medications out there that help reduce feelings of anxiousness. There are blood pressure medicines, and, and the purpose of those medications is to reduce the amount of arousal going on in the body, reduce that bad nucleus. Reduce, it makes sense, right? If the parasympathetic nervous system is on high alert, the heart rate is going to be going up, then the blood pressure is going to go up, and thus you're going to feel unwell. So you could have a very thin and healthy person otherwise, but have very high blood pressure because of stress and anxiety. So medications may be of assistance in that one area, beta blockers, for instance. Um, and I'm not going to give any specific medications because I'm not a doctor, for one, and I'm I, I, at least I'm not a medical doctor, and I don't want to confuse people because everybody's body is different. But if this is an area where you feel that your body just cannot calm itself, it may be an area that you want to discuss with a physician. One of the things that we look at is how much time you're spending dealing with your anxiousness versus how much time you're able to do things independently without those feelings. So if it's more than 50% of the time, it's really time to seek some outside supports. You know, if 75% of the time you feel that you can deal with your anxiety and 25% of the time it's really challenging, okay, maybe you do have it under better control because quite often and the reality is that simply not going to be able to make everything better and make it all go away. So the thing that you may need to do is to seek some um, medical supports. Most importantly is to be able to realize that each individual person is going to react to stress in a different fashion and react to anxiety in a different way. But the first thing to do is just look at the medical issues. Again, I said temperature. How is the body reacting to these high levels of stress? Again, if the body is on high alert and continues to be on high alert, there's nothing that you can do except deal with what is in front of you trying to keep your body in that high alert stage. Okay, we're entering into another break time, so when we get back, we'll continue our discussion about how to reduce some of these high arousal states. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. 
Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back again. This morning we've been talking about anxiety and some ideas for reducing and some ideas of why anxiety may come into play in the first place. Most importantly, I think we need to look at the environment. We need to look at the school, home, community environment. Are they set up in a way so that the person knows what their schedule is, so that they're aware of what's coming? Now, it's really important with people with autism to be able to have a sense of knowing what's coming around the corner. Now, this is important for people with anxiety also, in general, but for the person with autism, we have found that if they are aware of their schedule, there's a lot less apprehension. So if they know what's coming, they don't have to be apprehensive and worry about what the next event may be. The kiddo who keeps coming up, are we going yet? Are we going yet? Are we going yet? It's kind of like the kiddo that's in the backseat of the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? A kiddo might say that because they really are just anxious about getting to where they're supposed to be going. Sometimes a uh, a person has engaged in an event that may have a negative outcome. Therefore, they don't want to go back to it again. People don't want to interact with what with that that is going to cause them an aversive feeling. So they stay away from it. They avoid it. Avoidance is a huge thing, and we have to look at avoidance and look at how is the person dealing with social interactions, dealing with their community, how do they deal with problems that may come up, do they know when something is going to occur, do they know when certain events are going to happen so that they don't have to worry about them coming. Sometimes a person may just feel that it's easier just not to do anything 
than to get into a situation that might harm them in some way. People don't want to interact with that that is going to cause them an aversive feeling, so they stay away from it. Again, avoidance. Makes sense, right? Somebody's going to stay away from something that makes them feel awful. If you continue to have different feelings, and I'm sorry, if you continue to have different environments where you are always feeling awful in those environments, you're going to want to go to them and you're not going to want to, I'm sorry, you're not going to want to go to them. For instance, school. If things are not set up at school for the individual, it's very likely that they're going to have a hard time. And if they're having a difficult time, they're not going to want be motivated to learn. They're not going to be motivated. The only thing they're going to be motivated to do is get the heck out of there, to avoid and to escape <clears throat> their situation. If they're in a mode of just avoiding and escaping, it's going to be really hard to get them refocused on learning and interacting and leading and social interactions and relationships and everything else that we're trying to do. Because the thing is, is that the person's trying to stay alive. Remember that their brain does not know the difference between a tiger chasing them down the street and them feeling apprehensive about walking into a classroom that they've had difficulty in before. There is no difference in the brain. The brain doesn't go, oh, no, this is not a real danger. You're, you know, you're only half uh, in danger. No, it puts you into the full danger mode. So why would you make a decision to go into a situation that would kill you, right? So what happens is, is that the brain starts to come up with all sorts of ways to protect you. The alertness for one is huge, but the other idea is that the, 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 the person is needing to have environmental changes occur so that they can exist and they can continue to be, have a good life rather than being scared all the time. Because we can't expect somebody to do something if they're in this frightened mode. So what can we do? You know, there's, there's going to be a, a lack of social interactions and relationships developed because they're commonly helpful. You know, if, if I can reduce the amount of social interactions that I have as a person with autism, it's going to reduce my anxiety. So, but it's also going to reduce my interactions with people. So what's, you know, what's better? No interactions or no anxiety? One of the things, last week I talked about, or the last time I talked about universalism. The idea that other people have been through the same thing that you're going through, and if you could accept the information of the person that says that they know what it's like going through that before you, you did, or they understand your plight, then the person may be motivated to interact and engage in an event. So, in other words, you know, some of the best counseling or therapy out there for a person with anxiety is to know that they're not alone. This is not something that you're doing all on your own. This is not something, this might be a family issue that maybe you're not the only, okay, maybe you do have autism, but maybe other people in the family also have issues of anxiety and they've been dealing with those for a long time. And so to share with each other and to let each other know, hey, you know what? I've been through that. I know what that is like. I can help you. 
you're going to survive this. Just that idea of that connection from between the one person and another may allow for a, a, a huge reduction in the amount of, of anxiety. You know, people don't give enough credit to themselves for dealing with the issues that they've gone through in their lives. We often talk about the challenges that we've gone through, the difficulties in our lives, how we were hurt by these things, how the aversiveness of the situation affected our lives. But we always forget to think about one thing. We did it. We made it through it. We conquered the fear. We conquered the situation. Maybe we didn't conquer the fear. Maybe we worked with the fear and that was part of our energy and our motivation. The biggest issue being that we made it. You know, this shows about your successes. So it's really important to remember that, yeah, you are anxious and you may be dealing with heavy-duty anxiety issues, but you're making it. You're making it through each day. And one of the things that we need to do is give you things to assist your body, your brain, to relax and to calm itself because it's putting itself into a aroused state in order to survive. It also may not have the realization, you may not have the realization that you are surviving and that you are accomplishing that goal of working through the dangerous event, whatever that dangerous event may be. Yeah, maybe a tiger chasing you, but more than likely, it's just the daily events. I want to write a book, and I some kind of a title of "You Can Calm Down." The tiger's not chasing you anymore. You know, we don't really have tigers chasing us anymore, and a lot of what we deal with in regards to anxiety truly seems to come from the abundance of negative information thrown at us on a daily basis. We also, especially with the person with autism, may consistently try and introduce them into situations that are too much for them, too challenging, too difficult. Or you may have a child that's gone through some serious traumatic stuff. You know, the idea of post-traumatic stress is that in post-traumatic, you have an ongoing issue that keeps coming up, keeps affecting you. Thus, because it keeps affecting you, you keep reacting to it in the same way. One of the simplest things that we can do is just let people know what's going to go on when. Very, very simple type of, of intervention. And that's where, again, that visual schedule comes into place. So, you can arrange a visual schedule in the classroom. Uh, you can let the uh, kid know, okay, this is what we're going to do throughout the day. So you don't have to be worried about what's coming up next because you can look ahead and know what's coming. This is really important because it helps the person feel as though they're in control of their own destiny rather than feeling like they don't know what's going on and they don't know what's going to happen next. And constantly being in the state of, okay, well, what is going to happen next? What are they going to do next to me? 
what am I going to have to do next? What am I going to have to perform next? What am I going to have to show next? Maybe I won't be able to do this. Maybe I'll, and this thought chain, this negative thought chain starts to occur with what you've been asked to do is just enter into the next event or you may not even been asked to enter into the next event yet, but you're just starting to think about it and it's already worrying you because you don't know if you're going to walk into some big punishing event or not. Is what you're about to happen, go into, going to hurt you? Are you going to have a challenge? So if you're worried, if, you, if, if, if the schedule would allow possibly to feel somewhat in control of your own destiny, wouldn't that be better than rather than worrying about what's going to happen next? worried that they're going to walk into that punishing event or going to to worry them and concern them that they're going to, what are they going to do to have to avoid it and to be able to avoid it? We need to teach teachers, classroom assistants, parents, community members how to use them and how to check it. Even other kids in the classroom, how to help the kid or young adult or adult follow a schedule and it will help you as an individual. One of the things that that bed nucleus does is, again, it keeps you on high alert. So sometimes maybe the person can't sleep at night, is feeling very um, overwhelmed. And, and the reason why you can't sleep is that you decide that your brain needs to stay awake so that you don't forget to deal with the thing that is making you anxious. Well, if that is the situation, one of the, the greatest interventions there is to get out a pad of paper, get out a pen, write down the things that are bothering you, put it next to you so that you know that it's there on your nightstand or it's there on the table in the room so that you don't have to think think further about that thing. You can pick it up again in the morning. The reason behind that is that the that allows the brain to relax. So we have another little break, and when we get back from that break, we'll continue our discussion. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back again. So we're talking today about autism and anxiety, which often kind of comes hand in hand. Many people with autism are dealing with issues of anxiety due to the bombardment of stimulus that comes into their heads. Um, One of the things that happens with autism is that there's a lack of a filter uh, it's a particular neuron. It's called a Purkinje neuron. How? What a big, exciting word. The Purkinje neuron is actually an inhibitory neuron, and it's a maturing neuron. The inhibitory part is that what it does is it takes in information, and it decides what's used, when, and what needs to be put away for later, and what really doesn't need to be paid attention to at all. So, for instance, I, I, I talked about this earlier. While I'm talking, you may have noises going on around you person may be in the cubicle next to you on the phone Um, maybe there's a car going down the street or a garbage can or some noise that is in the environment that you're in but you're not paying any attention to it like maybe your computer has a fan and you don't even hear it because it's for one been around a long time your brain knows that it's not a necessary thing to tune into so it doesn't tune into it. People with autism don't have that ability. It's quite uh, challenging for them to be able to block certain stimuli. So what happens is their brains are just constantly being bombarded by all this incoming info. Okay, so if that's the, the, the case, it makes sense that the, the person is going to be anxious because we talked about that part of the brain, that bed nucleus, that part of the brain that keeps you on alert. Well, if the person is being kept on alert so that they stay alive, if the person with autism is constantly having stimulus come in, the brain doesn't know the difference. So it goes, okay, this person is just trying to stay alive. So let's just keep that alertness level going. And that high level of alertness constantly is what just is the total drain. And that's what is a drain on all people who are dealing with anxiety is that the brain becomes in this state of a constant arousal. So if that is the state that you're in, it's you're not going to be able to think, you're not going to be able to interact, and you're not going to be able to learn new things. So we've got to allow, it's like a, it's a responsibility for us as parents and as professionals to, to help our kids and help our 
fellow citizens to have good lives, be able to relax a little bit. And it's hard because we have this constant state right now of, of challenging things going on. If the person becomes anxious asking about what events are occurring, you can let them know. Go follow your schedule. Go check your schedule. Go, go check out what's going to happen. It's a form of self-advocacy. It's a form of being able to, to gain control over what's going on within their own existence. If you have control in your life, you're much less likely to be anxious. And control is a lot of different things. You know, one of the things with autism is this, this rigidity, this, this desire to not have things change up on you. And that's due to not wanting things to provoke anxiety levels. The less control you have in your life, the more anxiousness is likely to occur. So we give the tool of the visual schedule in, the, in order to give the person a visual prop so they're able to reduce their own anxiety and have a good understanding of what's coming. Hopefully this has resulted in reducing anxiousness for the person overall. Because again, just one, one thing adds to the next thing and before you know it, one small anxiety-provoking event turns into several events causing the person to shut down. It's quite common that people with autism may not understand where other people are coming from, not really understand the facial expressions, not really get the nonverbal language, and so they have difficulty with the social back and forth. And they may not really get other people. Now there is something that's called theory of mind. Um, also called mind blindness. Theory of mind is the ability to put yourself in the shoes of another person. Really kind of get where somebody else is coming from. And sometimes people with autism don't have that skill. They don't have that ability to really understand how something is affecting somebody else. In the early 1990s, uh, a woman by the name of Carol Gray created a program called Social Stories. Social stories are a way of explaining to the individual reasons why the social events are occurring. They're very helpful in getting a person to understand another person's point of view and what they're supposed to do in certain situations and what the positive outcome of their behavior will be if they respond in a socially acceptable fashion. One of the things that, and I'll get back to social stories in a second, but one of the things that we have in our, our field is called pivotal response training, started by Robert and Lynn Cagle at UC Santa Barbara. And what it is, is it's, it's the idea that if we teach a certain skill to somebody, it may have a major, major change in their life. If they have a, if there is that major change in their life that occurs, for instance, you might have an older person, older male who's needs to be toilet trained and nobody really wants to hang with them because they know oh my gosh I'm gonna to have to toilet train this 30 year old person but if we toilet train him and he's able to do those things for himself well all of a sudden that person may be more likely to have interactions with others because they don't have to uh, have that aversive interaction so one of the things that Carol Gray did was she wanted interactions with people to be positive so she created these social stories. So here's, here's a social story. So today I ride the bus. 
riding today I ride the bus. Riding the bus is hard. I like to make a lot of noise and talk to the bus driver, but the bus driver needs me to sit quiet so he can concentrate on driving the bus. If I sit quietly, I'll make the bus driver happy and we'll get to school safe safely. Not only is the bus driver's feelings accounted for in the social story, but you uh, as an individual with autism also understand what you're supposed to do. And in that social situation, you get it from the words of the actual story. The social story allows you to have an understanding of that theory of mind. Theory of mind, again, being that mind blindness. If you're interested in reading more about mind blindness, um, Sasha Baron Cohen is your person to, to read. Sasha Baron Cohen, book is called Mind Blindness. If it does not affect them, what happens is that that person may not understand where somebody else is coming from. Therefore, they don't respond well in social interaction. The social story allows them to understand other people's point of view. So that reduces the anxiety levels. They're not feeling so anxious because they're getting what they're supposed to do. They're not feeling like others that ego discomfort is not being affected because they're not feeling like others are mad at them or upset with them. So, and that physical discomfort, they're not feeling the frustration because they know what they're supposed to do in the situation and they're feeling more comfortable because they're in the situation uh, uh, um, uh, appropriately and, and, and interacting in the way that's expected from others. So the social story allows them to understand others' points of view, gives them that theory of mind that may be very difficult, very helpful in social situations and very helpful in reducing anxiety about the social situation. Because remember, you can have issues like anxiety but as one problem, but you don't want to have another problem as worrying about your problems. Well, we've come to the end of our show today. Next week, we're going to have on two very wonderful people, two colleagues of mine, Nancy Goodell and Ann Garrett. They're both going to be talking about how to work with kids and adults that are going through trauma and stress. So remember on Solutions and Strategies, Living the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your successes and giving you resources for your challenges. I look forward to speaking with you again next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.